Walters would like to wish all moms out there a happy Mother's Day. Come join Walters for a Mother's Day brunch from 11 to 3. Mention the Nat Chat podcast and get a free Bloody Mary or mimosa on Walters. Don't forget to make your reservation for the Philly series this week. Walters is open weekdays from noon till midnight. Let's go Nats. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Max holding the hands in position behind his head. Now that he brings him down as he nods his head to the side. The wind and the 3-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. 95 to the outside. 14 strikeouts in seven innings for Max Scherzer. The kick and the pitch. Swing and a line drive to right. Going to be a base hit. It's going to tie the game. With hand pitching behind, he gives up the single to right. Rainey to the belt. Bases loaded, nobody out to pitch. Swinging a ground ball, slowly hit up the third base line, and Rainey can't pick it up. He would have had to make a do-or-die play to the plate, and he dropped the ball. The game is over, and the Yankees have a walk-off win in the 11th inning on a slow bouncer up the third base line, scoring LeMayu. And welcome to Chat for Sunday, May 9th, 2021. Mother's Day, 2021. A happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Mark Zuckerman, Nationals Insider for MassInSports.com, is off. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. Thrilled to be joined again by the mastermind of the Chat Podcast, Tim Shovers. And Tim, I tell you what, you talk about like picking the perfect spot. Tim has identified an outstanding game to uh, join us here on the air for Nats Chat. What a ball game on Saturday for the Nationals. Bad result, but a whole lot to get into. How you doing, Tim? Doing well. Really enjoyed the Yankees telling us we'd have an update at 2 o'clock on the rain delay, not hearing till 2.30, and then obviously two and a half hour rain delay, and then a four-hour game, and a bullpen uh, meltdown late. So yeah, it was uh, certainly quite a day to fill in for Mark. That's the thing, man. You get the bonus of all the stuff to talk about, but you get the negative of the lengthy, lengthy day that it was for everyone at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, so, so much for a 105 first pitch. You know, most people, if you're a Nats fan, you figure, all right, your day's done by what, 4, 4.30? Nah, you end up going to like 7.30, essentially, with the rain delay, the lengthy nature of the game, etc. But a lot to chew on. Nationals blow it. Blow a 2-1 ninth inning lead and then a 3-2 10th inning lead. Waste a gem from Max Scherzer. Total just eight hits, seven of which were singles. Strikeout 14 times. Lots to chew on. Let's just dive headfirst into it. The bullpen. So off all of the praise we've been singing for the Nationals bullpen, and it's been justified praise, the bullpen really for the first time this season blows one. I mean, I know not every outing for the pen has been great, but this was the one where you say to yourself, the bullpen lost you this game and 
really no ways around that. I mean, the offense could have been better for sure, but you were in position to win this game not once but twice, and the bullpen falters, and it happens to be your ace reliever who falters. Brad Hand gives up two runs, one earned over the ninth and tenth innings, and getting just three outs versus allowing three singles and a walk. His first blown save of the season. Now, I will say this in defense of Hand. It's not like he got hit all over the ballpark. You know, that one-out bloop single by Aaron Judge into no man's land in right field in the 10th inning, despite the great diving effort by Ryan Zimmerman. One-out ribby single by Glaber Torres. Neither of those hits was impressive, nor in a lot of ways was the bottom of the 10th leadoff ribby single by Mike Ford. It wasn't a good outing for hand, but there were some cheapies there. And then the walk-off hit was the cheapest of them all. That super soft walk-off infield single by Glaber Torres of Tanner Rainey. You know, the saying is, hit him where they ain't. The Yankees did that in those later innings. It's the first time the bullpen faltered all season, and May 8th is a little bit longer than I would have guessed, you know, back in March. So give credit where credit's due, at least from that standpoint. That's obviously a backhanded compliment if there ever was one. But, you know, Al, you mentioned that they blew the lead twice, and Brad Hand was involved in both of those, the ninth inning and then the tenth inning. And to me, there's a lot of things to scratch your head on with the decisions in the late innings. But having Hand come back out for the tenth inning, to me, just – I didn't really understand that one. I'm not blaming him for the ninth. You got to get LeMahieu, Stanton, and Judge out. That's as hard as a one, two, three as you got to get out in all of Major League Baseball. But it clearly wasn't his day. So why he came out to start the 10th instead of just going to Finnegan or Voth or someone else did not make sense to me. I think it's so funny that we're at a point where you can reasonably argue Voth should have been in the game in the 10th and not Brad Hand. But you can. Like, if you've been paying attention to the national season, that's a case you can make. So personally, I did not have a problem with Hand coming out for that second inning, basically because A, he is, in theory anyway, your best reliever. And B, he's barely been pitching. Like, he should be fresh. He should be up for the task of two innings. Now, to your point, it was not a great day for him. And if you want to say, well, he's just done have it today, get somebody else out there, I wouldn't have killed Davey for pulling him at that point. But like I said, it's not like he got shellacked in that ninth inning. You know, the walk was really the thing that bothered you, right? That leadoff five-pitch walk that he issued to DJ LeMayhew. I can't kill Davey for throwing hand out there. Hand's got to get the job done there. Like, he's not been overworked. You know, there have been stretches where I've been like, man, I mean, they don't go to hand. If I mean, if it's not a safe situation in the ninth inning, they're not going to Brad Hand this year. Like, we're just not seeing him. Here you had an opportunity to get some mileage out of hand, and he just didn't come through. I, you know, so I'm not that upset with Davey for that. It was disappointing, though, and he'd been so good. He had not allowed a run the whole year. And I know you could say, well, it's the gimmicky thing with the runner on second base, but everyone's got to deal with the same thing. This is really where you need relievers with swing and miss stuff, and Hand has that. We just didn't see enough of that on Saturday. Yeah, and another thing to your point with Hand, uh, Al, you know, you talk about being okay to use Hand multiple innings because he's fresh. Another head scratcher then along those lines is why not pitch Hudson in the ninth when you had all those right-handers in LeMahieu, Stanton, and Judge do up. Hudson did not pitch on Friday, and Hudson had only pitched the two batters in the eighth. So you would think he could do a second inning as well. You could have, and it wouldn't have. Again, I think that would have been a defendable way to go. I mean, again, Hand has not pitched. You know, you set it up where a fresh Hudson pitches the eighth inning, gets the final two outs, and looks good, right? Struck out Kyle Higashioka on three pitches with a runner on first and one out. But Hand, like, that's his spot, you know, and he needs to deliver, and he did not deliver. And really, the first time this season you can say that about him. You know, it's funny. Kyle Finnegan comes on, retires the three batters he faces in the bottom of the 10th inning. And then Tanner Rainey happens again, you know, and Rainey looked really good in his previous outing. I know he allowed the first guy to get on base in that outing, but then after that, he was lights out. And then it was kind of back to the Tanner Rainey we've seen way too much of this year. 
where he issues himself a leadoff walk, a six-pitch walk of John Carlos Stanton, then a four-pitch walk of Aaron Judge to load the bases. Then again, like I said, the super soft walk-off infield single by Glaber Torres. So that's the thing with Rainey, I would say. Like, yeah, the walk-off hit was cheap, but Rainey issued back-to-back walks to begin things. So there's only so much forgiveness I think you can bestow upon Tanner Rainey. Yeah, uh, Rainey, uh, it was very clear right away that Tanner Rainey also did not have it. And I know you could say, well, has he had it all year? But uh, it was very clear he was off. And that, it was another example of where the three batter minimum really comes to hurt you because in a different circumstance, in a different year, Davey could have gone to his pen and he didn't even have anyone warming up, which I'm not blaming him on. But in a world where you could pull a guy after one or two hitters, you would think that someone else would have been warming up. Yeah, you could be more aggressive, and you're not allowed to do that. For the record, I hate the three-batter minimum. I think it's dumb. I think it's dopey. I think it limits strategy, and I think the idea that it drastically shortens the times of games has already been disproven. It doesn't, okay? Games take a long time because of the inaction between pitches. That's why games take so long, and to a lesser extent, the commercial breaks. It's not because relievers are being pulled out of games constantly. That doesn't help, but that's not the reason. I I wish they would get rid of the three-batter minimum, but yeah, disappointing. There's no doubt. And it's disappointing because Max Scherzer pitched out of his mind once again. Like one of the things I know that was out there during the game was, well, maybe some of these relievers are having a hard time finding their footings because the mound was wet because it did rain on and off during the game. The thing is, Max Scherzer didn't have no problem finding his footing. <laughs> he was otherworldly. Once again, spectacular with Scherzer. And that's what's so painful is that you end up not only does Max not you know get the win. I mean, I don't care about that stuff. I know some people do, but you don't get the win as a team. Like you lose this game and with Scherzer was lights out. One run, seven and a third innings, 14 strikeouts versus two hits, a homer and a single and a walk. He threw 69 of his 109 pitches for strikes. The 14 strikeouts, a single game record for an opposing pitcher at the new Yankee Stadium, which opened in 2009. And if you guys follow us on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat, the official Twitter account of the Nats Chat podcast. I mean, Tim, you were tweeting it out. It was amazing. I mean, 10 strikeouts through four innings for Scherzer. Like, he was piling up these strikeouts for even him. It was impressive to see that. Such a shame that it took us a few minutes to talk about Scherzer because we had to get to the bullpen. Uh, You know, it should have been a day where, you know, he should have been the entire podcast. He was, I don't know if he was better than Sunday. I mean, we're arguing about his two A-plus performances because Sunday I was at the game against the Marlins and it was just, Seeing it in person, it was so funny to see how little chance that weak lineup had against him. But I think this was more impressive when you factor in just the Yankees have a much better lineup than Miami. And he was making mincemeat out of them. And he was still throwing 95, 96 late. I mean, he now, Al, you know, we talk about the contract all the time and how he exceeded it. But this is year seven of that seven-year deal that we chuckled about a few years ago. And he is right there in the Cy Young race. I know there's a long way to go, but he is pitching as good as ever so far this year. He really is. And that's the thing. It's not just that like he's been great each year. It's that he's more often than not, with the exception, I guess you would say, of last year, been Cy Young great each year, which is an incredible standard to meet. And yet he keeps meeting it. I really think one of the underappreciated storylines and developments of this season has been that Max Scherzer is back to pitching at a Cy Young level. I I think there was kind of an assumption that, all right, Scherzer since the second half of the 2019 season, has it been Cy Young Max? And maybe that's just, you know, he's just not that anymore. He's like a lesser version of Cy Young Max. You know, he's B plus Max, that sort of a thing. No, he's back to being A plus Max. You know, like he is pitching the way we saw him pitch in, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018, first half of 2019. Scherzer now on the season over seven starts has an ERA at 233, 
He has a whip of 0.78. He has 61 strikeouts versus seven walks. I mean, that's incredible when you think about that, what he's doing, the age he's in, like we just said, final season of that contract. It was interesting with this outing because he was pitching on five days of rest as opposed to four. So Davey clearly felt comfortable pushing Max, but you know didn't want to push him beyond the 109 pitches that Max ended up throwing. And the dominance was just jaw-dropping. And I'm with you. I think this was more impressive than the Marlins game because of the strikeouts. I mean, you look at what Max did against the Yankees two through five hitters, John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Judge, Glaber Torres, Brett Gardner. Max held those four guys to 0 for 12 with 10 strikeouts. I mean, that, that, that's one of the better parts of the order in baseball. Stanton, Judge, Torres, Gardner. Max held those four to 0 for 12 with 10 strikeouts. You know, I grew up with Randy Johnson and Roger Clevens. And right now, specifically, and this is kind of matching early 2019, he's looking like them, where you're just expecting him to whiff, not only strike out anyone, but the big names you just mentioned. How do, how do you strike out those names 10 times in one game? That's jaw-dropping. It really was. Max had 10 strikeouts over the first four innings. Max struck out six consecutive batters early in the game. Stanton and Judge, final two outs, bottom of the first. Torres, Gardner, and Clint Frazier for all three outs, bottom of the second. And then Mike Ford for the first out in the bottom of the third. You know, we talked on the last installment of the Nats Chat podcast about, okay, I mean, the thing to worry about or be concerned about with Max would be the early home run. Well, he got out of the first two innings unscathed, did give up the solo shot with one out in the bottom of the third to Kyle Higashioka on a one-two pitch, but but that was it. You know, otherwise he was excellent. Now, let me ask you this, because I have a pretty strong opinion on this, but I'm anxious to hear yours. Davey pulling Max, did you have any issue with that? Did you want to see Max go longer? I agreed with it. I was actually a little surprised. I kind of go the other way, Al. I thought he was done after seven innings, 99 pitches, and you have your top two guys in Hudson in hand, whatever order you want to use them in, by the way, because of the right-handed situation that I alluded to earlier, maybe pitch hand in the, in the eighth inning. But I would have ended it there because you then have that quick hook where then your reliever inherits trouble on the bases. So because Scherzer was at was well over 100, I agree with the decision there uh, and had no problem with it. Nor did I. And I think the confirmation that we're right is Max's reaction to getting pulled. We know Max will uh, will MF Davey if he doesn't <laughs> want to come out of the game. He didn't do that. Max, like if you read his body language, he kind of nodded and he was like, yeah, OK. Like, cause, and, and Mac, you know, Max was good with it. You know, Max probably recognized he was at his limit. So I thought that was the right call. It worked out. I mean, Daniel Hudson was just fine. He wasn't the problem. Unfortunately, Brad Hand ended up being the problem. But no doubt, man, I mean, this podcast installment of it should have been all about Scherzer. And instead, he takes a backseat to what ended up being one of the first real bad games for the Nats bullpen this season. Hey, everyone. Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. So we've all had that dream, right? Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right. New users get up to $1,000 back in site credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back inside credit each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets 
for an even bigger win. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Uaskari Noah, the National League's version of Shohei Otani against the Nationals, takes the mound Sunday night against Aaron Nola and the Phillies. Might be another good opportunity to consider the under. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana. 100 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 100 Gambler, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1 800 889 9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses all her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The 2-2 on the way. Swing and a line drive right field. Judge moving back toward the line makes the catch. Stevenson will tag coming toward the plate. The throw in is offline and he scores. Line drive sack fly to right for Trey Turner. Scoring Stevenson. And the Nationals lead in the 10th. 3-2. All right, Nats offense. So overall, it wasn't good. We were kind of back to the way things have been way too often this season of not hitting for power. You know, not getting enough guys on base, you know, one, two, three innings, that sort of a thing. But I do want to give the Nats credit. Great job to get that run in the top of the 10th inning. And so much of the credit goes to Victor Robles, who had one of his better games this season, certainly offensively speaking. So Robles in the number nine spot 
three for four with three singles and a stolen base. First of all, he had a first pitch bunt single in the Nats' one-run third. He had a leadoff single in the top of the seventh. And then what happened in that one-run tenth inning? Leadoff single off a Roldis Chapman on an 0-2 pitch that was a 101.6 mile per hour four-seam fastball. I mean, you think about that, right? A, it's Victor Robles, who's not had a great season hitting. B, he's facing Chapman, maybe the greatest flamethrower in baseball history. C, he's down 0-2 Robles is, and he's still able to get a hit in that spot. I couldn't get over that. Yeah, Robles, this is probably his best game of the season. I don't even know if that's a debate uh, at the plate. And Al, he's hitting 300 so far in May. He's 6 for 20. And obviously, the bulk of that came this afternoon. But I really like what I'm seeing out of Robles so far this month. We've gotten past sort of those April inexcusable base running mistakes. And if Robles can just... I'm not looking for Robles to hit 300, right, for the full season. If Robles can get that average into the 270s and kind of flirt with 280 later this summer, that is such an asset. You've crystallized it so well. I mean, if you can have a guy with any sort of bat who gives you that sort of glove in center field, it's gold, right? It's worth your weight in gold. And so if we get performances like this today at a Robles, that is so crucial to this team. Yeah, and he has done a good job getting on base this season. He's walked more than I think people thought he would. I think the biggest thing for Robles as a batter has been the slugging. He's just not hitting for any power whatsoever. So like that certainly has to improve. But That piece of hitting against Chapman in that top of the 10th inning, that was some piece of work. I mean, Chapman is super intimidating. I mean, to say nothing of, you know, you're in Yankee Stadium, you know, it's not an easy place to do well in, and Robles came through there. Also had a stolen base in that inning, which was good. Now, do have to say this, the one official at-bat in which Robles did not deliver was another one of these Robles uh, plate appearances in which he struggled. Struck out looking on four pitches with runners on first and second, two outs, and the top of the fourth. So that was disappointing, but Robles did a great job in the 10th. And then to score Robles was that Trey Turner ribby sack fly, and that was a good piece of hitting off of Robles Chapman. Trey Turner was down at 1.02 against Chapman, but was able to make contact, put bat on ball, and on a 101.4 mile per hour four-seam fastball from Chapman, Turner is able to get an RBI sack fly. Nationals get that run. So I give the Nats credit. They did get that run. Unfortunately, we're not able to hold off. Another thing that I thought was interesting with the Nationals offensively was the Yankee strategy that was employed in the later innings. Uh, in fact, in that 10th inning, and it ended up working out just fine. But here you had Aroldis Chapman, who's a lefty. Juan Soto's coming up. He's a lefty. The Yankees opt to intentionally walk Juan Soto with two outs to bring up Ryan Zimmerman, who historically scorches left-handed pitching. Zimmerman was like laughing at this, you know, because Zimmerman understood the message that was being sent (laughs) and it did pay off. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman ended up striking out swinging on five pitches against Chapman for the third out with runners on first and second. What did you think about that strategy in the moment though from Aaron Boone? I agreed with it from Boone. I would rather take my chances regardless of what handed pitcher is on the mound and not have to face Soto. And if I'm a Nats fan, I would get accustomed to this moving forward. I think if there's ever going to be a base open in the extra innings or in the ninth inning, get used to Juan Soto uh, having a free pass to first base. Yeah, I I think it was the right call. It obviously worked out. I mean, as well as Ryan Zimmerman has done this season, he's still, you know, he's Ryan Zimmerman. He's an older player. He did not have a particularly good game on Saturday. You know, he wasn't awful, but it wasn't some lights out performance. And Soto is Soto. I mean, it, it really speaks to the respect that Juan Soto demands, and he does, that they go ahead and do this lefty versus lefty. I mean, because, you know, you could always make the case of, yeah, Soto's great, but so is Chapman. I mean, Roldis Chapman might be the best reliever on the planet. He's discovered this new pitch that has made him even more lethal. 
Like, you might say, just let Chapman go ahead and do his thing. I mean, for what it's worth, Soto isn't as good against lefties as he has been against righties. But, you know, he's still plenty good. He still wants Soto. Yankees employ that strategy, and it does end up working out. In terms of the Nats' other runs, so Soto had the bases loaded walk to plate that Nationals run in the top of the third. And Starling Castro had a tie-breaking two-out ribby single for a 2-1 Nats lead in the top of the sixth inning. You know, many years ago, Buddy Ryan had the saying on Chris Carter of all he does is catch touchdowns. Starling Castro this season, all he does is hit singles. He's not hitting for any power (laughs) whatsoever. But I give the guy credit. He is racking up the singles. He's racking up the runs batted in, at least, you know, relatively speaking from an ad standpoint. And he did come out there with that uh, ribby single. Put the Nats up 2-1. It looked for a while like that would prove to be the game-winning hit. Yeah, it was Castro's first RBI since April. So he has not hit for powers you just mentioned right there. By the way, I thought I thought it was uh, Chris Berman who said that. I didn't realize Buddy Ryan came up with that. Berman used to say it mocking when Buddy Ryan said it because Buddy Ryan was the head coach of the Eagles when Chris Carter was there. But yeah, Berman used to use that all the time on NFL primetime. Real quickly, I want to circle back to that thing you, you mentioned with the bases loaded walk to Soto, which piggybacks to what I was saying. Nats fans get used to that. Kluber on the 3-1 pitch threw it low and away. It seemed like he was more than fine in walking Soto and walking in a run and taking his chances against Zimmerman. Did not want to pitch against Soto with two outs, bases loaded, fast runner on first because a double in the gap, Harrison scores, and now you're down 3 nothing. So that again is another example of Juan Soto getting Barry Bonds treatment throughout the game from the Yankees. No doubt. And you've said it and Mark said it, and this is the way it's going to be. And the onus is on those around Soto in that lineup to come through. And that's going to be one of the keys to the national season. Does this lineup deliver? Well, do those around Soto come through, especially when Soto is pitched around? And unfortunately for Zimmerman in that spot in the 10th inning, it did not happen. Kyle Schwarber, too. I want to highlight him. He had a double in the game, two out double and that Nationals one-run sixth inning. That was the lone extra base hit in the game for the Nationals. And Alex Avila, as a starting catcher, did have a single and a walk in the game. Had a one-out full-count single in the Nats, one-run third, two-out full-count walk in the top of the fourth. Nationals continue to get sneaky good production, offensively speaking, out of the catchers. But it was a really bad game for the Nationals' two Joshes. Josh Harrison went 0-5 with three strikeouts. I don't want to kill Josh Harrison. He's had a very good season so far. But Josh Bell, Tim, I mean, here we are again. You know, like it's one step forward, five steps back, it feels like, with Josh Bell. He hits the home run on Friday night and then on Saturday, 0-5 with four strikeouts. And, And this cannot be one of these games where people like me talk about the stat cast data with Josh Bell and say, well, he hit the ball hard. He went 0-5 for with four strikeouts. That was a brutal performance by Josh Bell. Al, I know the draft is over from the NFL last week, but Josh Bell's on the clock. (laughs) Um, It's been a month or so since he's been back, and he looks so lost still. And today wasn't even surprising that he had four strikeouts and was 0 for 5. And I don't know if that means a week or two weeks or when the calendar flips to June, but there's only so long that this can continue. And I know they paid him $6.5 for one year, but it's not a seven-year deal. It's not a three-year deal. It's a one-year deal. And I'm not sure what the options are, but there's only so long this can happen, especially when you're trying to stay in the hunt in a very crowded division. They don't have many other options, which has been one of the real problems. This Nationals roster has not been well put together. And one of the real questions that needs to be answered is, is that because Mike Rizzo just made bad decisions? Or is that because Mike Rizzo was not allowed to make the decisions he truly wanted to make? But for now, I think one of the most telling things has been the frequency with which guys like Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber and some others have been out there this year because 
There just aren't many other viable options. I mean, you could say play Ryan Zimmerman more, and I'm not against that, but I think they're only going to ever play Ryan Zimmerman so much because of his age and his injury history, and they're trying to do, you know, the Howie Kendrick thing with Ryan Zimmerman this year. But, you know, this weekend, obviously, you have a DH. Like, one of the blessings of this weekend was supposed to be you have the DH, Juan Soto's back. You know, today we see him, Saturday, we see him back out there as the starting right fielder. So, okay, you can play both Bell and Zimmerman, but Bell has become an albatross here. And for all of the little, you know, flashes of, hey, he did this and, oh, he did that, it's like, it doesn't seem to lead anything. It just seemed to be these isolated moments of success. And, you know, I I think it's not unreasonable to say, well, it's not going to keep going this poorly and it shouldn't, but it does continue to go poorly, you know, and every game is more and more of a struggle in terms of like, okay, well, he struggled again. He went 0 for 5 again. And and at least I give you, like I said, if he's hitting balls hard, putting balls in play, you can maybe kind of explain that. 0 for 5 with four strikeouts is hard to explain away, especially in a series like this where you need power, you need your big guns to come through. Like I said, he hit the home run on Friday night, but that was a you know a real step back kind of game for him on Saturday. Disappointing to see that from Josh Bell. Hey, Nats Chat listeners, Tim Shover's here to tell you about Sunday Scaries CBD gummies. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. Sunday Scary CBD gummies help you live life scare-free by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill out and relax. They sent me a care package a few weeks ago, and let me tell you who they are targeting. Young professionals, entrepreneurs, college students, moms, and yogis. If you fit into one of those categories, I highly recommend checking out Sunday Scary CBD gummies. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order. At sundayscaries.com, enter code NATSCHAT, where ask for a coupon on the checkout page. Ready to chill out and get some much needed peace of mind? Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. Support for Nats Chat comes from Manscaped, which has the best men's grooming tools to get the job done. Fellas, listen up. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for whatever the world throws at it. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all of your below-the-waist grooming needs. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game. Manscaped has forever changed the grooming game with the perfect package 3.0 for a limited time. Subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxers. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code NATSCHAT at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. That's 20% off and free shipping with the promo code NATSCHAT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. And don't forget to use the promo code NATSCHAT. All right, so the Nationals looked like for a while they would maybe be in position to sweep the Yankees, which would have been something else considering the way this season has gone. Unfortunately, it's a rubber game for the Nationals on Sunday. It will be a Joe Ross game against Domingo Herman, 105 first pitch at Yankee Stadium. Look, we saw Patrick Corbin be okay on Friday night. We saw Max Scherzer be outstanding on Saturday. What do you think we see from Ross on Sunday? I think the goal is five or six, you know, just a decent start. And it could be similar stat line to what we saw from Corbin on Friday night. Ross has obviously a tough job ahead of him facing this lineup. And he's got the righty on righty edge against the top guys in New York's lineup. But 
We mentioned how Austin Voth hasn't pitched this weekend. This could be one of those tandem things, Al, where we've talked about with Voth that he could do with Fetty or Ross, where if you get five or so from one of these guys, then you could do Voth for two innings, which helps you out in the back end because I know Hudson, Hand, and Rainey all pitched on Saturday. Yeah, so the Nationals seem to never want to do things like certainly openers or tandem starts or bullpen games or anything like that. They certainly never like talking about those things, even though Davey in spring training did say he was open to the opener for this season. So I don't know if they would ever actually come out and say they're doing a tandem start, but to your point, you can do that with Austin Voth, especially with the way he's pitching. Now, if Joe Ross pitches as we have seen him pitch at times this season, you're not going to need to do that. Like Joe Ross is more than capable of going six innings on Sunday and giving up, you know, two runs or less. I don't know how likely that is, but he's had a good season overall. I mean, he's been good in four of his five starts. The one start in which he wasn't good was that third start that he made. Ten runs, all earned, four in the third innings, 12-5 loss to St. Louis at Nats Park on April 19th. But with the exception of that game, he really has not been that bad at all. You know, his, his most recent outing, 6-1 loss to Atlanta on Tuesday night at Nats Park. Two runs, five and a third inning. So, you know, I'm not saying he's a Cy Young candidate, but certainly has been better than I think most people would have thought, especially given that he didn't pitch at all last year. If he can do well on Sunday, which he's more than capable of doing, I think it's a nice confidence boost for him. It makes you feel better about kind of where he's at, that he can handle a lineup like this in a venue like that. And, you know, it would be really nice to see the Nats get that win. They had one stolen from them, the Nats did on Saturday. There's no two ways about it. That's a win that became a loss. And because the bullpen's been so good, you haven't had to deal with games like that too often so far this year. But this was the first one. That's that's one of those gut punch games, especially again, with Max as brilliant as he was to lose that game. Yes, you hate to see that. And that starting pitching has, has not been great so far this year. We know that. So when you get a great outing like that, you want to win. And the Nats obviously did not. Cosign on everything you just said. This is a big one because to lose this series going an off day, would hurt because they got a big three-game series coming up in the middle of the week against Philadelphia, who's in first place right now. Yeah, uh, the schedule coming up, three home games against the Phillies Tuesday through Thursday. Then you got some roadies after that, three games at the Arizona Diamondbacks next weekend, followed by four games at the Chicago Cubs. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the Nats Chat Podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Before we call it a show, I know you had something you wanted to make mention of regarding the Navy Yard neighborhood. Yeah, Al, I've been to a handful of games so far this year and certainly been down in Navy Yard a lot over time. For those that haven't been to Navy Yard yet this season, there are so many new apartment buildings down there. And I'm not talking about just three-story buildings. We're talking about 10-story, 14-story buildings on top of each other everywhere. Al, you know how so many cities want to create that neighborhood atmosphere in the ballpark? Nats Park did that. There are thousands upon thousands of people that are living by the stadium right now, and the dynamic has completely changed, and I'm very much looking forward to what it's like later on in the year when hopefully we have full attendance as things change. So it's always so tricky with new stadiums because there's always the thing that is said that new stadiums revitalize neighborhoods, and the truth is sometimes that's the case, but sometimes it isn't. It's it's very hit and miss. Like We've had a classic hit with Capital One Arena in downtown Chinatown. The jury had been out, though, on Nationals Park, especially because Nats Park goes up the first season, right, 2008, which is the start, essentially, of the Great Recession. So it's like you could not have gone up at like a worse time, uh, especially also, too, because the team wasn't very good at the time either. So you were kind of like, all right, if this is going to work, it's probably going to take a lot longer than people ever thought. 
But to your point, it does seem to be working. You know, like I don't pretend to know DC economics like, you know, some master here, but it does seem to be doing that in terms of revitalizing that portion of the city, leading to the building of great things. You know, you have bars, you have a place like Walters, which we love. You have the housing, the condos, the apartments that you just referenced. I used to do radio shows from down by Nats Park. And this was like, you know, five, six years ago. It was not that impressive. Okay. It wasn't. And I think things have changed drastically in just that period of time. It's great to see that. I I think DC deserved that. Certainly a lot of money was spent on Nationals Park. And uh, it's cool that things are emerging. You want to have a ballpark in a city where people can walk to the stadium? You got thousands upon thousands of people to live within two or three blocks. Good to see that. Good to have that. And uh, hopefully we keep it going. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Keep the feedback coming to us at Nats underscore chat on Twitter, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast. We hope our pal Mark Zuckerman has enjoyed his off day. He missed a marathon day at the ballpark. It's almost like he knew what was going to happen, and yet uh, he was able to uh, choose that off day strategically. Anyway, uh, for Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Happy Mother's Day, Mom.